Good afternoon, Raleigh, and this, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's July 13th. The time is 4 o'clock, and on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Marissa Jordan. Later in the show, we'll have Community Calendar, This Day in History, and The Weather. On KNC Goes TMZ, Jamie Halla takes a look at the new Pokemon Go craze. And Marissa reports on news in the Triangle, including redistricting in Wake County and in health initiatives started by Michelle Obama coming to Raleigh. Saif Fazan brings you news beyond the headlines. This week he takes a look at the death of an Italian Mafia member. Next week, Maya, Canal and Ian will report on the Wake County Board of Elections and early voting sites in on NC State's campus. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. Italian Mafia boss Bernardo Provenzano has died in a prison hospital at age 83. Provenzano, dubbed the tractor for his ruthless trait of mowing people down, was arrested and jailed in 2006 after spending 43 years on the run. He took over command of the Sicilian Mafia in 1993 after the arrest of ex-boss Salvador Toto Rina. Provenzano was serving a life term for several murders, including the 1992 killings of top anti-mafia judges Giovanni Falcone and Paolo Borsellino. He was suffering from bladder cancer and serious cognitive impairment and had spent the last two years in a prison hospital ward, Italian media report. His illnesses had forced the suspension of ongoing negotiations with the state over unresolved crimes. However, even before his health declined, he had resisted any cooperation with the justice system. Provenzano was born on January 31, 1933 in Corleone, a Sicilian town synonymous with mafia activity which gave its name to the fictional family in the Godfather films. He was said to have joined the mafia in his late teens, after World War II. He rose in the mafia ranks and along with his friend, Totorina, worked for mafioso Luciano Ligio, who reportedly once said Provenzano had the brains of a chicken but shoots like an angel. When in 1974 Ligio was jailed, Rina was left in charge with Provenzano as his right-hand man. Once at the helm following Rina's capture, Provenzano reportedly tried to arbitrate between rival mafia factions competing for business. He was said to have steered away from attacks on high-profile figures that had hardened public opinion against the mafia and provoked police to respond. In his later years, painstakingly cautious about revealing his whereabouts, Provenzano shunned the phone for hand-delivered pizzini notes and moved between farmhouses every two or three nights. But in April 2006, he was arrested at a farmhouse near Corleone, his birthplace and where his wife and children lived. Bernardo Provenzano earned the nickname The Tractor because, as an informant put it, he mows people down. He reportedly committed his first murder in 1958 at the age of 25, when Provenzano is alleged to have been one of the gunmen who helped rising mafioso Luciano Ligio murder Corleone clan head Michelle Navarra. In 1963, Provenzano went on the run after an arrest warrant was issued against him for the murder of one of Navarra's men. Gangland wars and murders of top judges became bloody hallmarks of Italian life in the 1980s when Provenzano was second in command to Toto Rina. However, Provenzano had another side to his character. He was a careful operator who took few overt risks, mastered the crime empire's finances, and under whose leadership the mafia had become a less bloodthirsty, more efficient machine, commentators say. For these reasons, he was also dubbed the accountant. Moving to the Middle East, Turkey has said it wants to reestablish good relations with Syria in an apparent reversal of its policy towards its war-stricken neighbor. Up to now, Turkey's government has been pressing hard for the overthrow of the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad. But Turkish Prime Minister Binali Yildirim 
insisted good ties with Syria were needed for the fight against terrorism and stability in the region. There has so far been no public response from the Syrian government. Turkey has recently moved to end rifts with both Russia and Israel. Diplomatic ties between Turkey and Syria were severed after the uprising against Mr. Assad began in 2011. Turkey is a key backer of both the political and armed Syrian opposition and has faced the burden of hosting more than 2.7 million refugees. In December, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan alleged that Mr. Assad had mercilessly killed 400,000 people. But in comments broadcast live on television on Wednesday, Mr. Yildirim said, It is our greatest and irrevocable goal, developing good relations with Syria and Iraq and all our neighbors that surround the Mediterranean and Black Sea. We normalize relations with Russia and Israel. I'm sure we can normalize relations with Syria as well. For the fight against terrorism to succeed, stability needs to return to Syria and Iraq. There have also been reports in the local media of Turkish and Syrian diplomats holding talks. Last month, Turkey normalized relations with Israel, ending a six-year rift over the killing by Israeli troops of 10 Turkish activists on a ship carrying aid for the Gaza Strip. On the same day, Mr. Erdogan apologized to Russia for shooting down a Russian warplane on the Turkish-Syrian border in November of 2015. Turkey's new initiative comes at a time of great political instability in the country, says the BBC's Katie Watson in Istanbul. In the past year, it has been hit by a wave of deadly bombings blamed on Kurdish rebels and ISIS. In a separate development, French diplomatic missions in Turkey canceled their Bastille Day celebrations on Thursday for security reasons, the consulate general in Istanbul said. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. State legislative leaders are not sure if they will draw new maps for the fall election of the Wake County Board of Commissioners and School Board. New districting is required following the July 1st federal appeals court ruling that the state legislator maps in Wake County are unconstitutional. A U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled 2-1 to one that the current maps cannot be used in November. The Wake County Board of Elections held an emergency meeting on Monday with its attorney to discuss the new order. Last Friday, U.S. Chief District Court Judge James C. Denver II declared he needed an answer by July 18th on whether Senate Leader Phil Berger, the House Speaker Tim Moore, and the State Board of Elections will create new maps. In light of this decision, the General Assembly would have to convene for a special session as the assembly is not scheduled to meet again until January. Berger and Moore are currently looking over Devers' order. If the state legislators do not act soon enough, the State Board of Elections can use a section under state law to allow it to make reasonable interim rules and regulations when county maps are ruled unconstitutional. The board must first see if they can logistically create new maps. Then, after that process, the state board must decide if they are willing to make new districts. In his order on Friday, Dever said he would draw up new maps himself if the state didn't make new districts. Redistricting in Wake County has happened before. In 2013, the General Assembly redrew lines for nine Wake County board seats, turning two into regional districts that covered about half of the county. In 2015, the state legislators changed the Wake commissioner lines to match those under the school board. On election day, 
Wake County schools may have a two-hour delay due to expected heavy traffic around the polling places that morning. This year's ballot will include many items, including President, Congress, Governor, General Assembly, county races, and a referendum to raise the sales tax a half cent in Wake County to help pay for transit. The school board's Student Achievement Committee decided to open two hours late on November 8th. The full school board could approve the schedule change on July 19th. Raleigh has been chosen to participate in a nationwide initiative that aims to get youth to spend more time outside. The program is Let's Move Outside, created by First Lady Michelle Obama, and Raleigh is one of 50 cities around the country participating. The goal of the First Lady's project is to have 10 million youth across 50 cities to become involved with outdoor recreation programs. The program also hopes to employ young adults. Mayor Nancy McFarlane, David Jayo, Senior Advisor to the U.S. Secretary of the Interior, and Doug McMillan, Chief Executive of the YMCA of the Triangle, announced the decision on Monday at a press conference in Annie Louise Wilkerson Nature Preserve Park. The City of Raleigh has a long history of recognizing the importance and investing in our award-winning parks, recreation, and greenway system, said McFarlane in a news release. Our public parks greatly contribute to the high quality of life Raleigh offers for its citizens, and we are committed to working with our community partners to ensure that together we provide ample opportunity for children, adults, and families to connect with nature and to be active in the outdoors. Encourage young people to spend time outside. The initiative will provide funding for two years at the YMCA of the Triangle to encourage young people to spend time and effort taking care and enjoying the outdoors. It is funded by a $5 million national commitment by the American Express Foundation. Many people in urban neighborhoods don't have the chance to experience all that our public lands in and around the city have to offer, said McMillan in a news release. This initiative will help us bring together leaders in conservation, education, recreation, and service to provide opportunities for children and families to have fun, deepen their connection with the city's natural and historic sites, develop important skills, and engage in activities where they can look back and strengthen our community. Over the next six to eight weeks, the YMCA will invite local organizations to join a steering committee that will determine the details of the program. By fall, a summit of groups under the committee will form to offer specific programs. I'm Marissa Jordan for Eye on the Triangle. Good afternoon. This week on KNC Goes TMZ, I will be discussing the latest cultural phenom, which you're about to find a little bit about. Recently, driving down the road or walking down the street, one might notice a more than usual amount of people raging in age from very young to very old, staring at their phones as they walk through the streets, possibly running into people or just stopping to stare at something in the space. No, these people are not in intense tender conversations with a newfound lover or checking out all the newest Snapchat filters of the day. Most likely, these people are playing the new, ever-addicting app, Pokemon Go. This app has been described as an augmented reality mobile game that focuses mainly on the location aspect. In slightly simpler but longer terms, a human being will walk around an area, i.e. NC State's campus, and their body is represented on the phone screen 
by an avatar that the player creates in the beginning of the game. The phone screen will appear as a very bare bones version of Google Maps as the player should be able to notice the streets around them, but they don't have names or anything like the restaurants, locations, or anything detailed like that. As the player walks around, a Pokemon will randomly appear. After the player taps the Pokemon, it will appear on the phone screen via their camera, making it seem as if the Pokemon exists in the real world. The player then tries to catch the Pokemon by throwing a Pokeball at it. In this aspect, the game differs from the popular handheld game that started in the 1990s in that it doesn't require the player to battle the wild Pokemon. Much like the original game, players are allowed to battle at gyms, but this aspect of the game is honestly rather confusing to me and doesn't offer a lot of fun because I mean the point of the game is to catch them all, not beat them all. The game was released on July 6, 2016 and has already made a huge impact in the world as it is the most downloaded app on both iTunes app and Google Play stores. It has been said that this app has been used more than some of the most popular apps such as Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram in the past week. There are many Facebook events popping up on the internet for Pokemon Go meetups for players to meet up in certain spots around a city and run around and catch Pokemon together, memes and articles focusing on how to be the best trainer are everywhere on the internet. Most embarrassingly are the people who are trying to charge money to take someone's phone for a walk to catch Pokemon and incubate eggs while they're at work. Ah, capitalism in America. And arguably the most important aspect of Pokemon Go is that it's created an app that's got people to get up, roam around the cities, and be active, while having a strong social impact on people as they will do it in groups and just have a fun time together. However, there have been some controversies surrounding the game, such as the usage of Pokestops, which are typically popular places in the real world that offer a place where players can get Pokeballs or other items that help them out in the game. These Pokestops have been held at inappropriate places such as the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, fire stations, and people's houses. There's even been an article that states a woman found a dead body while exploring for Pokemon, but I'm not entirely sure if this was a satire article or not. Other reports have stated that players have been robbed for their phones and belongings while out playing, then the video game critics have criticized the app because what else are video game critics gonna do? They tend to complain about nitpicky things such as the app crashing and it being too simple. But they did have one complaint that I feel like many users will agree with. The game does not allow for many social interactions within the game, such as a player's avatar cannot interact with other players' avatars walking around, nor can they trade with other players, unlike the handheld games. The developing company of the game, Neontic, has said that trading and more interaction is set to come sometime in the future. This was the first time Neontic has done anything with a Pokemon brand, as Pokemon is usually developed by Game Freak and published by the Pokemon Company. The Pokemon Company still published the game, which has resulted in an increase in Nintendo's stock, which owns a decent-sized portion of the Pokemon Company. So with that, it is fair to say congratulations to all the companies involved in creating this game as they did a great job creating a simple yet fun game for people of all ages to play, enjoy, and be active with. So get out there, if you'd like, and catch them all. This has been Jamie Hollow with Eye on the Triangle, and have a good week. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, student media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. The time is 419, and I'm Marissa Jordan. And I'm Ian Grice. For your community calendar, hip-hop in context with Ninth Wonder is happening again. 
today, Wednesday, July 13th, from 7 to 9.30 in Hunt Auditorium. I'll be there. It'll be a good time. The NC Museum of Art will be hosting a theatrical performance of The Light in the Piazza until July 14th at 8 p.m. both days. The museum is partnering with Theater Raleigh to present a special story with North Carolina connections. Be transported to the streets of Florence and Rome in the summer of 1953 with a musical love story stage amid the sculpture in the museum's classical court. The musical centers on the chance meeting between Clara, a young woman who travels from Winston-Salem to Italy with her mother, the Fabrizio, a handsome Florentine. As the story unfolds, a secret is revealed. The Natural Science Museum in Raleigh will be having Greg Fischel, WRAL meteorologist, speak on environment, economy, entrepreneurship, and is clean energy good for business on Tuesday, July 14th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. He will be discussing solutions to our ever-increasing need for energy. He will be joined by Jordan Kern from the Institute for the Environment at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and former South Carolina Congressman Bob Inglis, who has launched Energy and Enterprise Initiative, a nationwide public engagement campaign promoting conservative and uh, free enterprise solutions to energy and climate challenges. For the weather... Today, Wednesday the 13th, we have a high of 94 and a low of 75 and partly cloudy skies. On Thursday, we're looking at a high of 98 and a low of 75 with mostly sunny skies. Friday, it's predicted a high of 96 and a low of 73 with afternoon thunderstorms. And Saturday, there will be scattered thunderstorms with a high of 89 and a low of 73. On Sunday, we're finishing up the week a little cooler with a high of 87 and a low of 73 and scattered thunderstorms. On this day in history, for our history buffs, in 1787, Congress enacted the Northwest Ordinance, which created the Northwest Territory, which stretched from the Ohio River to the Mississippi River to the Great Lakes. In 1861, the Union routes rebels at the Battle for Corrick's Ford. In 1960, Kennedy was nominated for president. Next week, Maya Cannell and I will be reporting on the latest update as well as on the campus's reaction to the Wake County's Board of Elections and the early voting site on NC State's campus. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know at publicaffairs at wknc.org. And be sure to check out our blog and podcast at wknc-eot.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. I'd like to thank our contributors, Jamie Halla, Saif Hassan, and everybody else who uh, helped with the production of this work. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice, wishing you all a fantastic Wednesday afternoon.